It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 494 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you like the show, it really helps out if you subscribed, left a review for us. And you can do all that with the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead, hit pause, subscribe, and leave your quick review, and then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. Joining me on the show for the second time is Townsend Wardlaw. He's a sales transformation architect, a really smart guy about sales. And I asked Townsend to come back on the show and talk about sales forecasting. He's doing a bunch of writing about the topic, and it's really an essential element of your overall sales effort that just doesn't get enough attention. And it's really important to get it right. So let's talk Townsend about that. Townsend, my friend, welcome back to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. Good to be back. Dude, how you doing? (laughs) Quite well. Took us a little bit to get rescheduled here. It's been a a couple of back and forth, right? Well, you are in high demand, so you know it's hard (laughs) hard to get on your calendar. I don't know about that. Well, maybe some days. Yeah. No, it's it's been an incredible start of 2017. Um, So much fun stuff going on. So many cool clients and opportunities, and yeah, it's just it's been a blast. I feel like. You know, I look up and my gosh, it's 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 almost May here, so I'm not uh, I'm really sure. <laughs> As we record this, yes, it's almost May, which is scary to think about because, right? Yeah, we're a third of the way through the year. I mean, it's it's where to go. I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> like you, it's it's been a gas. I've been everywhere, but it's like wow. It seems like I'm planning things in September, October already, and it's like, geez, that's right around the corner. No. Yeah, I don't need time to fly so fast. <laughs> get to be my age you want time to slow down slow it down slow that, it know, down that, that's been that's actually an interesting uh you know talk track uh, on, on a certain level is that one of my goals this year was to do more you know accomplish more stuff with less apparent energy and to not have things quite so packed you know so that's mm-hmm. uh, that's really been something i've been focusing on is, is both time management sequencing how i'm blocking my time and uh I took my first business trip, business travel uh, trip this year. Some people, you know, people who don't know me won't let know that one of the things I abhor is getting on a plane and having to fly someplace. So I do, you know, the vast majority of my work remotely. Mm-hmm. But I actually went down and visited a customer uh, for the first time in about three years. That was fascinating. Now, was that you we saw getting dragged off the United flight? <laughs> I think I would have put up more of a fight, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it uh, might not have gone so well for me, but I would at least you know, put up a good fight. Well, not, you don't fly. You, are you afraid of flying? Uh, no, uh, I'm actually not. I just I, I, I hate the waste of time and energy, right? You know, to go and see somebody for a day, it's, you know, it's basically either two days out of your life or a major pain in the butt. You got to wake up really early. You got to fly in late. It interrupts. You know my hobbies, my sleep, my my drinking, all the all the things I really enjoy. <laughs> and I was just I, I actually made a decision about it was interesting. Is your, uh, now is drinking one of your hobbies? I'm sorry, I didn't. No, that's a that's part of my professional uh, livelihood. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> just just kidding. I uh, I, I was going to say that it was actually about six years ago that I, I decided I wasn't going to travel uh, for work. Prior to that, I was doing what I would call you know traditional consulting, getting on a plane, etc. Sure. And uh, had a bunch of things going on uh, with my boys, um, you know, that, that I really needed to be close to home and around. And, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing it. I literally went out one day and talked to all my clients that were remote, which was all of them at the time. And I said, I can't work with you anymore. Uh, I'm done. 
and I, I, I basically have recrafted my whole consulting practice where I won't, uh, I won't go travel at least unless I really, 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 really like somebody and, and, and they're paying me a whole lot of money. Now, if you want to know what the secret is to avoiding business travel, I actually can share that with your listeners. If, if you think that I'm might sure be they're, I'm sure they're waiting at the edge of their seats to find out. Yeah. It's pretty simple. You actually quote them a rate so absurd for, for, for leaving your house that all of a sudden it sounds really attractive to do things remotely. So I always, you know, I never say to somebody, I'm not going to travel. I say, oh, I'm happy to come and visit you. Let me share my, my day rate when I'm, when I'm needing to, you know, go to the airport and do all this stuff. And, and then I say, you know, the good news is, you know, if I don't have to do that, you know, here's what that's going to look like. And it, it's really surprising. Though I almost invariably say, yeah, we're fine with this remote stuff. It'll, <laughs> just great. Yeah, well, I, I think that, I don't know. Does anybody still sort of glorify, you know, business travel the way it used to be? Yeah, I remember one time I was working for a startup back, I guess it was 20 years ago, and and the CEO was, was uh, and I were sort of dueling about travel. And he said, well, you know, I don't think we have to go see these guys. And this was before a lot of the tools existed to, to do a lot of the remote work the way it's done today. Right. And, and, you know, his claim was basically that Travel was a perk. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, uh, let me think about that for a second. You know, you're obviously speaking like someone who's not traveling a lot, never <laughs> actually done it. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely not a perk. But I'll tell you, you know, I'd say about half of my work with clients is, you know, and and I may have shared this before, but you know, my core client are these you know two to ten million dollar companies where still typically founder led and they've hit a plateau mm-hmm. and they they mostly have small sales teams and I'm coming in to help you know the CEO who's probably fired their third VP of sales or whatever to, you know, to really get their arms around it and fix this sure. once and no, for all. I understand perfectly. That's that yeah. was what my before I started all this stuff, that was my consulting practice too. Yeah. So so in that capacity, I'm 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 playing a kind of a quasi-manager role over these sales folks. And I'm always amazed at the willingness of salespeople to hop on a plane, fly halfway across the country or all the way across the country for what when you really dig into it is a poorly qualified sales call. And they're using the, you know, I'll be in the neighborhood or, uh-huh. hey, just drop in. Sure. I'm saying, you understand the cost in terms of dollars and your, you know, an opportunity cost, not even to mention that. So it's just, it's amazing to me. Well, I have to admit, I mean, I used, I've used that tactic before. And, and <laughs> <sighs> but not, I, I had hoped for not for poorly qualified yeah. clients. But, I mean, I, I'm, again, you know, I hate to date myself, but back in the day, uh, you know, we'd do something similar with overseas clients. Sure. Yeah. Well, you had to do such things, right? We didn't have this beautiful internet and Skype and, you know, join.me. And it's it's just amazing that with the technology we have, people still want to, you know, inconvenience themselves and others. So. Well, and basically, we're, yeah, in many cases, we're going over and making cold calls. I mean, yeah, I, that's, I remember getting on a plane and, and it, I was selling something where there's a, a pretty limited set of, of potential clients, right? Right. Probably 200 yeah. worldwide. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was pretty much in contact with a good majority of them. And at some point or another, they all would have been prospects. And, but yeah, we, you know, given the, the time, if I had, you know, a really good call lined up with, uh, you know, somebody that's getting ready to close a deal and, you know, these are multi-million dollar deals. Yeah. You know, let's say in London, yeah, I'd call everybody else I knew in the UK and Europe and say, Hey, I'm going to be over yeah. there. Yeah, and that's if you if you're already, if you happen to already be there to see somebody who's going to give you real money. Yeah, I get that, but yeah. you know, to create these sort of fantasy trips. Exactly. Yeah. So okay, so well, let's talk about that a little bit because you know one of the things that that you know you and I share a real interest in is his productivity and yes. sales productivity. 
And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sort of concerned. I guess is, is the right word. Is is that <laughs> that yeah, you know, we have this amazing infusion of of yeah. technology and yeah. innovation coming into the sales space, and yet if you look at at least the reports I see and talking to people is it doesn't seem to be moving the needle in general yeah. in sales. Yeah. And yeah. in some cases, and I know you're concerned about this, in some cases perhaps even encouraging wrong behavior. So yeah. so let's let's dive into that a bit. I mean what are you what are you seeing in that regard? It it's 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 the number one challenge that I see for selling organizations and it's getting worse, not Product, better. Productivity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, I'm, I'm not even talking about efficiency. I'm talking about the raw output of basic activities, right? At the end of the day, selling is a function of a number of in, interconnected activities that, that have to start someplace. And when you go all the way to the top and you say, what's going on to drive top of the funnel activity? I don't care what it is. There's not enough. Uh, as as I've you know shared before in the show, the things that I care about are obviously raw activity, but to me, the fundamental metric, metric that any organization can use to assess its health is how many top of the funnel first scheduled conversations are reps or whatever you call them on a week, right? If that number is any less than eight, you're suboptimized, right? If you think about how a funnel plays out, how first conversations start to turn into discovery, turn into, you know, whatever your process is, every organization can sustain a minimum of eight and, and you know, ideally even more like 10 or more. Top of the funnel, first conversations. I'm talking a 20-minute, you know, hey, saw you on our website or, you know, whatever it is. In order to generate those conversations, you have to actually, you know, perform activities, emails, cold calls, social selling, whatever your little flavor of the month is. But when I actually look at what the reps are doing, the answer is typically one or two, right? So so there's the, the one leg of the stool is, okay, so you're not on enough top of the funnel conversations. Then you say, okay, what's the root cause of that? And you go over and you look at, the raw activity they're generating to try and, you know, create those first meetings. And you'll see 20 dials, right? 20, 20 little phone dials, uh, possibly the same amount of emails. And you kind of step back and you go, what, what are these people doing all week? And I hate to slam reps and such, but, you know, the reality is when, when you look at the problem, it almost always relates to you're not doing enough stuff. I don't know what you're doing all week. Well, now in these cases where the people aren't doing enough, I mean, do they not have systems in place to be able to measure activity? Uh, yeah, they do. That's well. Let me let me caveat. Oftentimes, before I come in, they don't. Right. So literally, they don't even know what they're doing, or their or their their manager doesn't know. And what's astounding to me is that even post, you know, fixing the CRM and setting up, you know, the workflow so they can actually do things efficiently, they don't move the needle very much at all on their on their level of activity. Um, then you sit there and say, okay, maybe maybe there's not enough leads. Maybe there's not enough you know, prospects to call. Maybe they don't have good numbers. The astounding thing, once again, Andy, is that for the vast majority of these reps, uh, even when you remove all these barriers out of the way, you take a step back and you go, there's simply not enough activity. There's simply not enough stuff getting done. Well, all right. So you like I said you deal primarily with small businesses. I said two to Correct. 10 million. Um, how are they staying in business if they're not generating sales activity? You got me. I mean, so, so I mean, it's sort of tongue in cheek for, for my core customer. Typically it's because the founder is still heavily involved in selling. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, now I'll tell you this in, in, in this year, since the beginning of the year, I've actually worked with two much larger clients. Uh, you know, we're talking 50, 60, 80 reps. And I still see the same problem for the vast majority of, of reps on the team. Right. You know, there's always the outliers who are, you know, hitting it hard and, 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 Shockingly, as a result of that, they're bringing in deals and filling their pipeline, et cetera. But the vast majority, uh, I just did a diagnostic on a, on a Salesforce.com instance, 
And the sum of activity, the average rolling 30-day activity count for inside, these are inside sales reps, mm-hmm. right? 65 touches, 65 uh, activities. Per week. Include, uh, roll, trailing 30-day metric. Oh, that's my God. Thir- 30 days. That's 30 days. I, you know, scratch your head. I don't understand it. Well, so why is management letting them get away with it? <sighs> that's a good question. I, I've always said that, you know, the problems exist in sort of this order. Number one, either, you know, you're not setting the right expectations, right? You don't know what you should set. Right? I think all managers inherently have this, you know, fear of micromanaging. So they're, you know, they're, it's tough for them to say, you know, freaking make $60 a day, do it. Right. So number one is you haven't set the expectation. The other is you're not actually managing it, you know, measuring it. Uh, et cetera. So that's the, uh, you know, that's the second biggest challenge. The third, however, and I think this is the most insidious, Andy, is that for most organizations, they don't really have the process and the infrastructure to bring in new talent. So if you're sitting there as a manager, right, and you're trying to keep the flywheel going and you got a rep who's underperforming. Now, what you know you need to do is go over there, talk to them, have a conversation, you know, try to make them successful, put them on a plan. And then if they can't do it, move them out of the organization. However, now you have a hole which A, you might not get filled again, B, you might get with somebody worse, or you're going to have to do the training, you know? And I think that's ultimately the underlying challenge. And, I, and I've, I've, I've said this probably now for about a decade, maybe even a decade and a half, sales organizations improve through upward pressure, right? If you don't have the infrastructure to identify talent, to hire, to onboard, to train, you know, to ba- basically get people enabled in their job, you are stuck with the reps you have. And, and, you know, ultimately they're going to settle on whatever level of performance they're going to settle at because you have no leverage, right? They have to get so bad that they're a detriment to you before you actually do something yeah. about it. And, you know, people know that it's just, oh, it's, it's well, that's true. That's uh, small yeah. business. I think this is, this is one of the critical things that, that we talk yeah. about. I mean, there oftentimes you see it too. in in small business that with their sales forces, there are, I call them structural impediments to, to, Increased productivity that oftentimes you know relate to, right. hey, first guys in the door, the first two sales guys in the door have all the accounts, right? And so everybody else that they bring in, they expect to go out and harvest new accounts, which <laughs> yeah. they'll do. But but the ones that are the biggest and best are being milked by two guys that actually yeah. should yeah. be out selling new accounts as well. Should be, yeah. And so yeah. You know, there's no sharing of the wealth. And you know, I've gone into several companies where you know we've gone through the trauma of reallocating accounts. <clears throat> And it yeah. creates a huge uplift because what they find out suddenly is these people that weren't performing, yeah. who maybe had the activity level but weren't performing, suddenly get experience actually selling the product and service. Yeah. And yeah, you get this huge uplift. Well, you, you, you kind of got me fired up a little bit because I'm thinking about the, you know, the, the soapboxes that I've been on this year, right? And, and there's a couple things. You know, I, one of the things I do is I, I, I sit down at the end of the year and I look at all the clients, all the people I've worked with. And I say, okay, what were the biggest challenges that I saw, what were the biggest problems that if we solved once and for all, uh, you know, would make a huge impact, right? So uh, activity was one of them last year, obviously, that seems to have been the list every year. The other big one that I've been just absolutely banging the drum on is the concept of who people are interfacing with in terms of what most people would call the decision maker, right? So uh, my, my soapbox has been, as I, as I look at opportunities, as I look at activity, as I look at all the effort that's going on, the vast majority of these, you know, so-called, you know, sales opportunities, the, the stuff that salespeople are working on is being conducted with people with whom they don't even know whether they are part of the decision process, where they fit, how, how they would make a decision. 
Um, it's almost like you know they're walking into Starbucks and talking to people about their product. To me, it's the equivalent. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't, and and so you know, one of the things I did is I, I've I've rewired how I look at even the opportunity funnel, and I've and I've put this whole process around identifying what I call the person of authority very early in the process, mm-hmm. and and. As I've implemented this since since the first of the year, the, the absolutely astounding thing are the number of you know rep pipelines that I've gone through where they're absolutely filled, filled to the brim with so-called deals that when you poke on them, the person they're talking to not only has no decision-making authority at all, has no idea who they would actually go to for the decision or how that would be communicated, yet you know, that's where the reps are spending their time. They're spending this massive amount of time. And if you, if you track that back to the, you know, so what, who cares for my mind. And and this is what we looked at last year. This is where the vast majority of these so-called, you know, you know, closed loss, no decisions come from, right? Oh, they budget was pushed or they're, you know, basically a bunch of nonsense. It's all code for, I was never talking to somebody who can make a decision. No, I mean, and, uh, you know, they talk about this in the challenger customer. You basically, you're talking to the friendly person that's there and prepared to right. talk with you. Yeah. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no revenue's the, coming in. No revenue's coming in, but yeah, we've got yeah. this great contact. Well, it's funny yeah. when you push on those types of deals, what I, what I find, and I the sort of rule of thumb or the heuristic I, I give people to use is, you know, the quality of the deal, the quality of the deal is an inverse proportion to the degree of defensiveness the rep has when you start pushing on it in a deal. <laughs> That's a, that's a beautiful maxim, exactly. Right. So the more defensive yep. they get, the more you are convinced that that's a bad deal. I've been having a very productive year in terms of rep defensivity towards me. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> even a word, but that's that's definitely been a theme as I've as I've started pushing on it. It's uh, it's just fascinating. I I don't know. I, I I look at the whole sales ecosystem, and I you know I truly think that sales is a fun profession. I don't think it's I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's you know confrontational. I think it's just a simple you know, set of conversations wherein we're trying to understand what the prospect is trying to accomplish and help them with it if we can, if not move on. Yet, I think so many people make it so difficult. And 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 I'm, I'm always going to push back and say, that's largely a function of the fact that most of the people out there, the so-called sales professionals, have learned to sell from these companies who brought them in, you know, taught them a product, taught them a demo, you know, showed them a process that's never really been proven or A B mm-hmm. tested or anything, and said, "This is selling, right?" Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I may spin that a little bit differently. I, I think selling is simple. I don't know that's necessarily always easy, but a better a better word. Yes. But, I mean, it's straightforward. But it, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. straightforward and simple. I mean, my my first boss, you know, taught me that is, and yeah, it, by and large, a lot of the lessons I learned back. Years and years ago, selling something a lot less complex, you know, held held me in good stead when I was selling right. things worth millions of dollars. Um, yeah, it was still the same fundamental things that you focused on. Yeah, I sort of recently have boiled that down to a to an acronym. You know, I think the four things you need to be able to master. Yeah, simple habits, yeah. selling, but selling habits in order to succeed. And so I have the acronym BALD, B A L D, <laughs> and and it's you know you have to be present. Yeah, ask great questions. Listen without judgment, which is really a hard one, and deliver yeah. value on every touch. Yeah. If you, if you do that, what else do you need? It's not complex. Well, you, you, you need the confidence or lack of fear, right? Uh, or another way to think of it is, is an abundance mindset so that you can say no to things, right? The, the vast majority of these 
make-believe deals are, are, are simply there because the reps are reinforcing them, you know, be that, be it, you know, acting defensive or whatever, because they, they, they want it to be true. They need it to be true. They don't have enough top of the funnel activity. Therefore, they don't have enough stuff coming in the top of their pipeline. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough conversation. So every deal all of a sudden becomes, you know, really important to them. And they, they, they need it to close. They want it to close versus, you know, when I come into an organization, the first thing I want to do is have the reps almost overloaded with top of the funnel meetings where they say, gosh, I'm, I'm meeting with new prospects all the time, right? So as things move through the pipeline, they're no longer afraid of saying, you know, uh, let me, let me apply a little more scrutiny here. Let me see if this is real. Let me push on it. Oh, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of offending my prospect by asking, you know, a horrible question like, so who's going to pay for this? Right. Literally prospects say, how do you ask somebody, you know, who's going to pay for it? I say, you say, who's going to pay for this? How does your organization invest money when they want to buy something? When was the last time you actually wrote a check for $30,000? You just ask them like that. It's not offensive. It's called business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a state secret. <laughs> well, I love the expression, but I think one of the other sort of aspects of that though, in terms of, you know, this qualification disqualification is, is that, you know, the next level up is, yeah, you can have somebody that understands, you know, decision-making process and, and who the decision-maker is and maybe even had a conversation with them. Yeah. But you're still not qualified to sell to them, and they're still not qualified to buy your product. And that's, to me, is like the next level. The pipeline is still full of those. Absolutely. I mean, and, Absolutely. And they're never going to close because they're not qualified to buy your product. Right. But Yeah, they're not really there. Yeah, yeah but you get that, yeah. that uh, sense as well. We did BANT. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And thus they belong in the pipeline. It's like, no. And I th- and I put some of the blame on this on on sales managers is being too accepting of some of this stuff and and not spending the time yeah. to do a deep dive on the pipeline. And yeah, I've even gotten some pushback from people about, well, we don't do one on ones like that anymore. And, wow. Wow. We don't we don't actually review deals. That's uh And it's like <laughs> Oh, as a manager, yeah. I, yeah. How do you how do you operate without that? Yeah. Well, that's like some of these organizations saying we don't cold call, we do social selling. What kind of nonsense is that? You know, the open rate on an email is fifteen percent if they know who you are. You know, and and you know it, it gets worse from that. And I, I still see these organizations saying, well, we we try to say, you know, we sent out two hundred emails last week with a. Blah, 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 you know, really want to meet with you. Let me know what's good in your calendar. Mm. You think that's a prospecting strategy in 2017? Well, yeah, some people yeah. do, right? I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no no getting Somebody just asked me a question. I said just on a webinar before you, an hour or so ago. And yeah, people are asking the question, you know, is cold calling dead? And I'm like, No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who told you that? Give me their address. I'll go over there with a baseball bat and cap them in the knees. No. Yeah. I mean, that, actually, actually, but, but the that, answer is the answer is yes. Stop doing it because teams that I train will do better. Teams that you train will do better. Yeah. You should stop cold calling. Memo to all of Andy's listeners: cold calling's over. You don't you don't need that crap. It's so passe. <laughs> yeah. Send your cards and letters to Thompson. Um, yes, please. Here, here's here's what I'm really concerned about, right? And that is that we have actually had an unprecedented run up over the past couple of years in terms of sales organization growth, investment in sales, investment in marketing technologies, companies are dumping a lot of money. Now I've seen a tremendous amount of movement in the last six months, even in the second half of last year. You know, I, I, I think generally a lot of companies are doing actually pretty well. The problem is we're going to hit 
a bump here at some point. It might be a little bump, might be a big bump, but you know, I went through the 2002 world's going to end, the 2009 world's going to end. By the way, there was one before 2002. I can't remember what date that was, but 80, it got 80, pretty ugly. 80, yeah. 87. Yeah, there you go. Um, this happens in, what do you call that thing when it happens all, oh yeah, it happens in a pattern. And it's going to happen again. And right now, if, if I'm a sales team, if I'm a sales organization, if I'm even an individual contributor, this is called make money when the sun is shining, you know, make hay when the sun is shining, right? Mm-hmm. And if people aren't honing their skills, you know, absolutely maximizing their, their, their income, their earning, their corporate revenue, whatever, when things go sideways, it's going to get ugly. You're going to see massive downsizing of these organizations. You're going to see all sorts of panicking. And I think it's going to be really unfortunate. So contrary to what you would think you would see happening, which is organizations really investing in dialing in their, their process, you know, getting tight with how they're, how they're actually coordinating sales and marketing, really enabling their people to be at maximum efficiency, they're just sort of skimming the cream off the top. I mean, I, I see so many, you know, valid leads and opportunities just falling on the floor through pure neglect. And, you know, this is the time when you should be like, you know, just pouring all the money uh, into your bank account. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's six months. I don't know if it's another year, maybe maybe longer, but the stuff's going to hit the fan and uh, organizations are going to have to have a real massive adjustment. It's going to be a, it's going to be an unfortunate time in my mind. I'm kind of worried about that. Well, it's inevitable, as you said. We're, we go through business cycles. Yeah. We haven't had a, a correction for almost 10 years. Right. I mean, a sizable one. And yeah, yeah. there's 2008, 2009. There was 2000, 2000, 2001 before that. 87 before that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 87 was the Black Friday. But then, yeah, 87, 88, 89 weren't great. I mean, so, so yeah. It's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. So uh, that's an interesting question is, yeah, for the individual individual contributors, yeah, make money. That's sort of like realtors, right? I and mean, if you're in real estate and you're a realtor, yeah, they know this better than anybody. They're more painfully right. aware of these cycles than than anybody in their business. And yeah, they have to make hay while the sun shines, um, and then save a bunch of money because there will be lean years. <laughs> there will be lean years, absolutely. And you see it, you know, at least in like San Diego area where I, <clears throat> I spend part of my time is is yeah, yeah, you just. <laughs> The realtors they they scale that back back their teams and yeah, you know, yeah. there's many more realtors that are you know out looking for work or you know doing something else and then yeah when it gets better it it happen in business to business sales as well I mean so I think the thing for for reps is not just you know make money but it's yeah hone your craft hone your skills yeah. make yourself invaluable to your right. your company and yeah. you know your customers. And if you can do that, if you can if you can learn your product, your service, your industry, customers, business, you know, the more you invest in that, the more you invest in your own development, the better off you're going to be when this inevitably happens. Well, I got a question for you on that because one sure. of one of the surprising things I see is, at least in the clients that I work with, a surprisingly rare uh, tendency for people who have chosen a career of sales. To actually self-invest in their own betterment, right? They'll they'll certainly go to training if their company provides it. But you know, I'll ask reps. You know, what's the last book book you read? Whose podcast do you listen to? You know, who do you who do you admire? What you know, what what pro, you know, who, who are you following? And I sort of get these well, the, you know the blank, blank all those questions as me. Well, I hope so. I hope <laughs> your people are following you. But uh, you know, and of yes. course, you know, I always recommend your stuff. But you know, I just I don't I don't see it enough. I mean, for me. 
if you're not investing, you know, an hour a day in learning, right? This we live in this time where all this information is 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 available. It's free. It's amazing. You know, I mean, the you know, heck, go through go through the folks that have been guests on your show. You know, Google them, and every one of them has you know piles of free resources that'll make you a better salesperson. That you'll learn something, right? But well, yeah, I actually, you know, interestingly, I and I agree. I mean, I, though I see reasons to be a little bit optimistic. I mean, okay. certainly podcast listenership is is going up across the board. So it's good, you know, as we see, you know, our workforce, you know, the age distribution of our workforce change. I mean, I think. Uh, what was the figure I just saw recently? Like twenty four or twenty five percent of all college graduates listen to podcasts. I mean, yeah. so yeah, we have to assume that that skews younger to a certain degree, but not not necessarily. I mean, but so we, you know, podcasts are making it easier to consume some of that. The episodes we do on on books, especially on my Friday sure. episodes with with Bridget Gleason, hugely popular, I and mean, people love love that. And maybe that's because you know people listen to the podcast have a propensity to read books, but yeah. But I think part of that the solution is is that companies have to stop with this idea that professional development is something you have to do on your own time. Oh, I, I agree, absolutely. And so, you know, if you're a sales leader, if you're a CEO of a small business, you know, I had a guest on my show quite a long time ago um, who brought this up, who who in his own company, and he's been a serial entrepreneur, his own company, um, you know, set aside I forget how much, 30 minutes every day. Yeah. Read, reading time for people to read yeah. books on company yeah. time. Yeah. And and you know, when I and I've had set a similar program with with a couple of clients to do the same thing. We create a curriculum for them. Sure. And what they had to agree is they'd set aside 20 minutes a day for their sales team to read. Yeah. And well, it was actually That's 50, awesome. 15 minutes to read and five minutes to reflect on it in a journal. We bought them journals. Yeah. It's like I've had I can't believe the the pushback you get from sales managers. Oh, we can't do that. You know, I've heard our productivity. I'm like, well, first of all, you people are only spending about 30% of their time actually selling, right? And this right. is why, if you expect them to go home and turn off the TV and read this book, you're, you want them yeah. to succeed for you. Give them the time yeah. during the day. And then you, you can be assured that it's going to happen. And they're going to well, it, pay, it pays huge dividends, right? I mean, well, just it, absolutely. Yeah, and the cost, of, the cost of the program I put together for, for clients is well <laughs> approximately equal to what what I would charge for one day of a training. Right. And they're reading 10 or 11 books. I mean, they came way, they way more out of doing it every day, every week yeah. than they get from how, you know, as, as good as my training is, you know, human nature, <laughs> human, yeah. hum, human nature is they're going to forget about it in 30 days. Sure. Right? That's sure. what the research all shows. We forget in 30 days. Yeah. You put it in the book, you read it, you integrate it into your daily process. So, you know, bottom line, CEOs, sales managers, set aside time in your own day, every day, to get people to read something or to listen to a podcast. You can do that, and more and more sales teams are you know listening to podcasts during weekly sales meetings. Yeah. Do something like that. This is Townsend Wardlaw, and I approve that message. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I that's awesome. Char- got to charge you a sponsorship for that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Well, okay, so we're in violent agreement about most of that stuff. Yeah, but what do we put, disagree? What do we disagree on? Anything? Well, I don't know. Let's see. What's what's today? So today, as we record the show, um, it's the NFL draft is tonight. So <laughs> this, this show is going to air <laughs> well after that. Are you a, are you a diehard Bronco fan? Uh no, no, I'm okay. I'm not a diehard sports fan at all. 
that's, okay. that's good. I, I, that probably keeps me out of most arguments. Well, frees up all your time. <laughs> that it does. Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't really, uh, I don't really follow sports. I don't watch much TV. Uh, I got rid of my cable box about a year ago. I destroyed, you know, I got off of Facebook two years ago, although I'm back on it because I'm doing Facebook advertising, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, Deleted all my friends except for my mom and my sister because they would have gotten <laughs> mad if I deleted them. But literally, I've got five friends and I don't check it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any. I just do the, you know, the drinking thing. That's that's kind of the drinking thing. Okay, well, good. That that's sort of a recurring <laughs> theme here. So, um, but you were toying around with Snapchat like a year or so ago. I was, I was, I, I, I got off of it in in disgust and really can't stand it. Uh, it, 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 it basically is. Just like Facebook, same sort of time suck, same sort of, you know, very, very low commoditized value being conveyed. You know, I, th- I think if you're a real personality, if you're a real Internet influencer, you know, I've, I've got an audience of about 14,000 at this point, which mm-hmm. is which is it's great. It's not sure. huge. It's not like a Gary Vaynerchuk or, you know, somebody like that. But honestly, uh, it's just it's not for me. I, uh, I have a very simple way of, you know, communicating with my audience. And I think it delivers a lot of value. And, you know, there's people. I think that both can give value in a you know twenty second snap or whatever the heck it is, and I think there's people who can get value out of a twenty second snap. I'm just not either of those people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's fun to watch you experiment with it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a uh, that was an interesting experiment. I, I I gave it I gave it to a college try, and then I was like, I I am sick of this. I'm gonna <laughs> hit myself in the head with a hammer if I got to keep doing this. So. Yeah. Well, the people I was I was following. Um, yeah, I've already seen the volume tail off over the last six months. So, yeah, well, in, and it's, it's Instagram's doing really well. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's picked yeah. up. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say I was I was out at um, uh, the Traffic and Conversion Summit about a month ago in San Diego, mm-hmm. and I went there four, three, four years ago. And, you know, these guys are the leaders in you know digital, you know, internet, online marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And and three, four years ago. This crowd was predominantly what I call internet marketers, right? They're you know selling survival kits and systems and and you know join my how to make money on the internet club and and whatever. And I went out there because I wanted to see how they were doing what they were doing and and the applications for you know what I do and you know my own personal audience building and B two B etc. So there were about eighty five percent or more of these you know internet marketers, you know really fringe. You know, they wouldn't like me saying this because some of these guys are, you know, seven figure and eight figure yeah, fringe, fringe earners. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, not, you know, not, not the, not the world that you and I play in for the most part. When I was back this year, what was fascinating to me were a couple things. One, it was 85% B2B and digital agencies and it mm-hmm. completely flipped. So, so that, you know, the B2B world, digital agencies have, have gotten the message that this is how you move people, you know, down the pipeline. Right. Um, that was number one. And then the, other big uh, aha, if you will, was the digital world has finally realized, has finally gotten what I think you and I have known all along, that it's about converting to a conversation. Marketing is not going to take over sales. It's not going to replace sales. It can only take people so far. And in fact, you know, three, four years ago, and I tracked this sort of nonsense, uh, you could convert people to upwards of a five or even $10,000 program, right? Where they're literally paying payments and, and, and signing up right. without ever speaking with them, right? All right. online, right? right? Through various programs. That number is down to about $750 and in some cases lower, right? Organizations that sell $500 little packages, they got to do a sales call. 
So the imperative for having a conversation, right? Marketing's job has really settled into how do we move people through, you know, all the early stages, et cetera, to the point where they're willing to have a conversation. So the good news for everybody listening is that this only increases the imperative on knowing how to have a good conversation, right? At the end of the day, you're going to have to hand this to a human being, you know, not a bot, not an AI robot, but a human being who can interact with another human being and get them to give you a credit card, sign on the line that is dotted, whatever your metaphor is. Uh, so that was really fascinating to see how that is flipped um, and to see how it is all about moving people through a process to get to a conversation. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, hey, Townsend, we're going to have to end on that. Great note, though. Very, Perfect. very optimistic for the future of sales. And I, I agree. I think you know the complexity of interaction between two human beings uh, is always going to be the province of, of people yep. as opposed to. That ain't to, going yeah. away. Yep. All right. So, Townsend, tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. You can go to www.townsendwardlaw.com. It's spelled like it sounds. You can find me on LinkedIn. Hit me up. I got a ton of articles. I got a YouTube channel. Uh, frankly, I think if you just put Townsend and sales, you're probably going to just find me. It's uh, pretty easy. But tons of resources, free stuff. I'm always, uh, you know, like my man Andy here, uh, putting out great content that's really designed to help people. Uh, salespeople do their jobs better. Sales managers and and you know for my target audience, you know smaller business owners uh, trying to grow. All right. Well, good. Well, Townsend, as always, pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. And we'll do it again. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Come back, join me again tomorrow. Until then, thanks for joining. Me. This is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 